Yeah, how many people has prayed almost those same words before, uh, telling God that we're sorry for, for going through the motions and uh, doing things like that? But that, that song really, really uh, touches home to me. Um, so just, just give them another round of applause, and also Landon, if you would. He, he does a, uh, a great job. The church is in good hands, and uh, um, I told him when I went over there, I told him I could probably shave 20 minutes off my message. I'm not going to, but I probably could. <laughs> I got the mic, so you got me for 45 minutes or so. All right, but it's good to be here. It's, uh, it's great to be out this evening, to be able to come here. Uh, with all of you guys and worship Jesus uh, and just give him all the praise and all the glory that only he uh, is worthy of. And we're like uh, Landon had, Landon had said, uh, we're going through these pastoral letters and uh, these are really the last few letters that the Apostle Paul uh, was going to be writing. Um, he's nearing the end of his life and he really wants to, uh, to pour in and to admonish these, these two young men that... Uh, that he had poured so much into, and he's really, uh, so you've got First and Second Timothy and also Titus, uh, the other pastoral letter, that, that Paul's really pouring into these young men that's going to be taking over kind of the reins. Paul's getting to the end of his life, and he really wants to, to pour into them all this knowledge and, and really encourage them in their faith and try to, try to help them along in their journey. See, these churches that, that Paul had founded, he wants to make sure that that they continue on. Paul had set them on the right path, and now he's put leaders in place, and he wants to make sure that that they continue on in what he started. They continue on in, in sound teaching or doctrine, that they continue on in love, that they continue on in the fellowship with one another, and that they continue on in the simplicity of the gospel. That is one of the things that, that Paul hammers a lot through his epistles, is the simplicity of of the gospel because we we're men and we take it and we try to make it hard and we, we confuse it when it's simple the gospel is simple Christ did all the work and you have to trust him for it that's all that he has that's the gospel Jesus came died on the cross for our sins was rose again defeated death hell and the grave and now he says if you'll trust me for it that I did what I said I would do and I'll do what I say I'm going to do you'll have eternal life that's the gospel. That's the simplicity of the gospel. We make it confusing. Man does because we try to pour our thoughts into it and what we think it should be. But let's go ahead and we're going to go to the Lord in prayer. Then we'll uh, we'll start. Father God, we come to you tonight, Lord, and, and God, just like that song says, we're we're sorry, Lord, for the times this this, this even this past week, God, that that we've went through the motions that we've not truly loved you like we should, that we've not truly loved others like we should. God, we've said words in, in vain that we should have never said. And God, we just ask that you would forgive us of that, God, that, uh, that you would cleanse us of that, God, and that, that there be anything here hindering us, God, any, any worry that we have, any fear that we have, anything that is consuming our thoughts tonight, God, we just pray, Jesus, that we would leave them at your feet, let us be here tonight, Lord, and let our only purpose be to worship you, God, for you alone are worthy. And we just pray, Lord, that you would help us do that, and we pray, God, that you would bless your word as it goes forth. God, that you preach the sermon that you want preached to each and every one of us here.
need something different, God, and you have this amazing way of giving people just what they need to hear. And we love you and we praise you and we ask all this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. All right, so we're going to start out here in 1 Timothy, and we're going to start out in, in verse 12, chapter 1, verse 12, and we'll read a few verses. Paul says, I thank Christ, Christ Jesus our Lord, who has strengthened me, because he considered me faithful, putting me into service, even though I was formerly a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent aggressor, yet I was shown mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was more than abundant with the faith and love which are found in Christ Jesus. So Paul starts this letter out and he, he's thanking Jesus for, for strengthening him and for allowing him to, to take part in this gospel message that, that he's called him to. And it says that he kept getting stronger and stronger. In Acts chapter 9 it says, But Paul kept, kept increasing in strength and confounding the Jews who lived at Damascus by proving that this Jesus is the Christ. So God kept kept pouring into the Apostle Paul what he wanted him to, to preach and to teach on and kept strengthening him in the Word of God. Paul, after his conversion, uh, God allowed him to, to meet with the disciples of Jesus and to have this time with them in Damascus. And then right after that, Paul goes out and Paul gets to work. And he starts preaching the Word of God in these synagogues and he starts preaching the Word of God to anybody who will listen. And he says, I do it because God has found me faithful. I want to be faithful to my Lord and Savior. That's why I do the things. That's why I suffer the things that I suffer, because I want to be faithful to Jesus. See, we sometimes get the misconception that oh, I'm just a volunteer, right? I'm just a volunteer. It's okay if I don't show up. It's okay if I don't do anything because I'm just a volunteer. If you're a Christian, I've never seen, and you can read that Bible backwards and forwards, I've never seen anywhere where a Christian is called a volunteer. Nowhere. I've seen Christians be called a bondservant of Christ. I've seen Christians be called fellow workers in the gospel. I've seen Christians be called ambassadors for Christ. I've seen Christians be called the bride of Jesus. I've never seen them called a volunteer. And we have this misconception that, well, I'm just a volunteer, so it doesn't really matter if I show up or if I don't show up, or really, I don't really have a big purpose in this all. If you're a Christian, you have a purpose in this plan. And we sometimes think, well, Jesus really doesn't care about the little things that I do. <laughs> Again, if you're a Christian, God has given you a purpose, and He cares. He cares. There's no such thing as a volunteer. Just like a bride is expected to be faithful to her husband, so the bride of Christ is expected to be faithful to Him. That's not supposed to be a choice of whether I want to do it or not. That's supposed to be, I'm going to be faithful. I've committed my life to this, and I'm going to be faithful to this to Jesus, just like you would your spouse. And see, sometimes we give ourselves these uh, these excuses. Well, I'm not I'm not real educated, right? I'm not very educated, or I'm not real smart, or I'm not I'm not a great speaker, so I can't really do much. You don't have to be any of that to be faithful in service to, to God. You don't have to be any of that 
to be faithful in your service to God. Remember, Jesus said, if you're faithful in a little, what? You'll be faithful in much. You want to grow your ministry? You want to grow what you're doing for God? Start out by being faithful right where you're at. Doing what you can right now to be faithful in service to Jesus. That's what He's asking for you right now. If He wants to bless it, He's going to bless it and it's going to grow. But you can't just give your excuse, well, I'm going to do nothing because I don't know enough, because I, I don't speak well enough. God's going to use you. God has a purpose for you and He's going to use you. You want to be blessed by God, start being faithful right now in what little bit that we have and see how God blesses it in the future. 1 Timothy 13, then it says, he says, Even though I was formerly a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent aggressor, yet I was shown mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief, and the grace of our Lord was more than abundant with the faith and love which are found in Christ Jesus. See, Paul says, look, look how good, look how good that God is, that even though I blasphemed Him, even though that I, that I hunted down and I persecuted people that wanted to live for Jesus, even though I murdered people, and like Landon said, I made widows and I made orphans, even though I did all of those things, God still saved me, and God still wants to use me, and God is still using me right now. Everyone, I'm sure, knows, knows the story of the Apostle Paul, but Paul's not using what he's saying here as just some kind of hyperbole to make a point. Paul lived it. Paul lived it. Paul, Paul did kill people. Paul did vote to have people killed. Paul did hunt down Christians. Paul did blaspheme the Word of God. He says it all. He says it of himself. And he was on, on his way to do that very thing. On his way to do the very thing that he says, I'm, I'm guilty of. He was on his way to capture Christians, bring them back for trial, and some of them probably be murdered. And I had that in Acts chapter 9. I'm not going to read it all for time's sake. Uh, go read the story. It's an, it's an awesome, awesome story of how Jesus came to the Apostle Paul. And he was converted right there on the road to Damascus. Right there, right in the middle of his sin. He was converted to Jesus. That's amazing. That is amazing. See, Paul didn't shy away from who he was. Paul didn't shy away and try to hide who he was before. There's no point in doing that. To him, he said that the fact that I was who I was, all the more that shows how good that God is. All the more that shows the grace of God. So I'm not going to shy away from it. I'm going to keep telling people who I am and what I've done. I can't, I can't not do that. And that's speaking to all of us in here too. Every one of us in here, no matter where you're at, and no matter how far that you've gone, you've not done too much that the grace of God can't be there for you. That the grace of God is not more abundant than what you've done. That's amazing to me. And that's what Paul's saying here. He's saying, yeah, I was awful. And in the next verse, he'll tell you, I was the worst of them all. I was the poster boy for sin. I was the poster boy for someone who opposed God. But yet still, the grace of God was more than that. That Greek word there used for more abundant, 
it's in the present tense. So it ain't like the grace of God was good enough. It's like the grace of God it was and it still is. It's right here. It's still more abundant in my life. Still more abundant than the sin that I commit in my life today. In the present tense. And, and that, that word more abundant really, it doesn't do it justice. It's, that word in the Greek means super abounding without number. That is how the grace of God works. You think your sin is bad? The grace of God is, is super abounding more to cover that than what you could ever imagine. Don't get caught up and don't let this world catch you up in thinking that you've gone too far or that you've done too much. Don't believe the devil's lies when he tells you God's not going to take you now. You've gone too far. I've heard those lies whispered in my own ears when I sat here. Don't buy into the lies. And Paul expresses this beautifully in the next phrase in 1 Timothy 1.15. He says, It is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners among whom I am foremost of all. Amen, church? That ought to get us excited. That ought to get us excited. See, this is this is one of those life verses. This is one of my life verses. This is one of those verses that I cling to and I keep close to me. Uh, Landon can attest. It's on my wall at work. I keep it close to me. And I, it's funny. I was talking. We were talking. Nate and I were talking last week, and he said that very same thing. That's one of his life verses. And it's one of those verses that Nate, Nate would tell you, that's one of those verses that finally got him to see. Finally got him to see that, that God is, God does love me. And God will forgive me, no matter how much I sin. And Lord knows it was a lot. No matter what I've done, I mean, I'm telling you. <laughs> it was one of those verses that got Nate to see. God is greater. God's grace is even more and this shame that I feel from what I've done. And I love this verse. This verse speaks to me in so many ways because, one, because I was that person. I was that person that sat in those pews and thought that I would never be what God wanted me to be, that I would never be accepted by God because of my past. And it was one of those verses that, that spoke to me that said, I, I do love you. And I love you right where you're at. I'm not telling you to go back and get cleaned up and come back to me. I'm telling you I love you right now. And that my grace is here for you right now. And it's, it's just one of those verses that, that speaks to me. And Jesus spoke to me and he come to me and, he, and in Romans 5.8 it says that God demonstrates his own love toward us and that what? While we were yet sinners. Jesus died for us, or Christ died for us. Paul said it's a faithful and it's a trustworthy statement. He's saying you can take this to the bank, that Jesus came to save sinners. Jesus came to save sinners. Not that he came into the world to save people who did, did good deeds. It doesn't say that. It doesn't say that Jesus came into this world to save people who don't cuss anymore. Or people who don't do drugs anymore. Or people who don't lie anymore. 
or people who don't treat people badly anymore. It doesn't say that. It doesn't say that Jesus came into this world to save people who are trying to do as good as they can do or went home and tried to get cleaned up and come back. It doesn't say any of that. It says Jesus Christ came into this world to save sinners. And praise God that he did or else we would have all been in trouble. Jesus said the same thing in Mark chapter 2. Mark 2, 16, uh, started in 16. It says, When the scribes and Pharisees saw that he was uh, eating with the sinners and the tax collectors, they said to his disciples, Why is he eating and drinking with tax collectors and sinners? And hearing this, Jesus said to them, It is not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. And Jesus is here saying the same thing that the Apostle Paul said. I came for sinners. You think you're good enough? You think you're righteous? I don't know what I can do for you. I came to save that person that's a sinner and they know it. See, we need to get to a point in our, in our, our own walk, in our own lives, that we see ourselves this way. That we're a sinner apart from grace. We're in trouble. Apart from Jesus, we're in trouble. We have to get to that point. But there's nothing else that I can do. And apart from Jesus, I'm done. See, a lot of churches, they shy away from talking about things like sin and things like hell because they don't want to make people uncomfortable. But I'm telling you, it's real. And sin is real. And if we don't have Jesus who came into this world to save sinners, we're in trouble. We're all in trouble. Praise God that he did that. And the other reason this verse means so much to me is uh, I think that we've, we've done a great injustice as a church. Me and my own life, we've done a, a great injustice to people uh, and to God, really. See, we all love that redemption story, don't we? We love when somebody comes in and says, oh, gosh, I was, I was down here. And look where God brought me. We love that. But what we don't love is we don't love to get our hands dirty to help that person that is still down there. We look down our noses sometimes when people come in and they're still down there. And we sometimes we think, gosh, if they could just get it together, maybe God would do something for them. I'm sorry that I've felt that way before in my life. Because that's not who Jesus is. Jesus said, I came to save sinners. I came to save sinners. I came to save that person that you look down your nose on. And we forget that very verse that, that, that Paul just said. Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners of whom I'm foremost of all. Not go home and clean up. And that's what we sometimes we've been guilty of. But that person would just put this, oh, what God could do with them. That person would just put this, what, what God would do in their life. Jesus says, I, I didn't come here, and I didn't bring them here into your house, into this church, for you to say, oh, just go get cleaned up and come back. I brought them here so that you could get down in the pit with them, and you can help them in their journey, and you can help them see me right where they're at. That's why I brought them here. That's why I brought them to your doorstep. And I'm sorry that I've felt that way sometimes in my life. But we've got to get better. 
We've got to be better. We've got to get these verses into our heart and understand that it's for everybody. It's not just for me. It's not just for people that we think are worthy of it. We're not worthy of it. Nobody is. And it's awesome that, that Paul says there in verse 15 that among whom I am chief, I am foremost, I am the poster boy, Paul says. Paul says, not that I was, right? Not that I was the chief sinner. That I am the chief sinner. That's why it's important that God's grace is in the present tense, that God's grace is still here abounding because we're all still going to sin. That's why it's important that God's grace didn't just cover us once, that it continues to cover us. It takes me back to, to, to Romans chapter 7. Paul said, wretched man that I am, wretched man that I am, who's going to save me from this body of death? Who's going to save me from this flesh that desires to sin all the time. And then he says, thanks be to God through Christ Jesus our Lord. That's who does it. This man that had suffered, this man that had done all these great things, that had suffered more than, than most people that walk through Scripture, he still says, wretched man that I am. Because the closer he got to God, the more he saw his sin. And he kept getting closer to God and seeing his sin. And he understood the fact that this is going to stay with us the rest of our lives. And we're going to desire to sin. That's why we need the grace of God to abound more and more in our lives. That's who's going to save us. That's who's going to keep us saved. Amen? His work, His love, and His sacrifice. Let's go to now. We're going to go to 1 Timothy 1.16. Paul says, Yet for this reason... I found mercy, so that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might demonstrate His perfect patience as an example for those who would believe in Him for eternal life. Paul says, for, this, for the reason, for that reason, what reason? The fact that I was the chief among sinners, the fact that I was the best sinner there was known to man, that I was the poster boy, the fact that I was that, God still saved me. God saved me, and He wants to use me because of that. He wants me to be an example because of that. To show His grace. To show His patience. To show that person that thinks that they're never going to be good enough. That person that thinks that God will never love them. That God will never accept them. That's what Paul says. I want to be used as that example to that person to say, Hey, if God can save him, right? He surely can save me. It's like Nate. If God can save him, right? He can save me. And that's why, I, get, I mean, most of the pastors here, all of us, I think, you, we're pretty upfront with the fact that uh, we weren't choir boys <laughs> in our past. Um, I have a past that I'm not proud of. Uh, I've done a lot of things that I'm ashamed of. But God still uses me, despite it, despite my past. And sometimes because of my past. And so I want to say... To us, to all of us out here, God loves this comeback story. God loves a comeback story, and a lot of us in here are a comeback story. We can look around this church, and there's so many of us in here that God has brought back from something. So many of us in here that has this story 
but we, we try to hide it because somehow we're ashamed of it. Somehow we think people won't receive it. Use it. Use that story that God that, that God has in your life, that God has brought you back from. Don't be ashamed of where God has brought you back from. Use it. Be an example. Are, and ask ourselves, are we being an example for somebody else? Are we being an example that somebody can look to and say, if God will save that person, He can save me. Are we showing that light and that grace of God? I read something on Facebook the other day, so you know it's true. It said, No one, no one is better equipped to lead someone through a struggle than someone that's already been brought through it. If you have a story, everyone in here has someone that they can relate to better than anybody else. If you have a struggle that somebody else can look to and be and have that be an example and an encouragement for them. Don't be ashamed of your story. Use what God has done in your life for His glory. Be faithful in that and see what God's going to do with it. And then in verse 17, it, it's kind of crazy. In verse 17, Paul goes, Paul's talking about all this thing, all how great God is and, and the grace of God and how awesome the grace of God is and how God saved him and someone as bad as him and then Paul's saying all these great biblical truths and how it applies to him and then just all of a sudden he just breaks out in praise just right in the middle right in the middle of writing the letter he just breaks out in praise in 1st Timothy 1 17 he says now to the king eternal immortal invisible the only God be honor and glory forever and ever amen just speaking the word of God just understanding those great truths of God and where he was at and where God brought him from, it just makes him break out in praise. Amen. That is, that's, that's awesome. Do you ever get that way sometimes? You just sit back and start thinking what, what God has done in my life, what God has brought me in, in, from in my life. And it just, it makes you just break out and, and want to praise him, man. Because I know only me and God and maybe my wife know how bad I was. I don't even know if I told her as bad as I was. Only me and God knows those deepest, darkest things that I, I'm so ashamed of. And to know that He still forgave me, that sometimes just makes me want to praise Him even louder. I can't sing a lick, but sometimes I, I just want to shout it out. And that's how we're to live our life, right? That's how we're to live our life in this, this praise of God for what He's done. You know, people sometimes that, that oppose free grace or that oppose eternal security, they'll say, well, if people think they can do whatever they want to do, right, well, what's going to make them be good? What's going to make them live godly? If they're not afraid of hell, if they're not afraid of judgment, what's going to make them be good? Right there. That's what does it. They've missed the point. They've missed the whole point. Gratitude. Gratitude is what makes people live that way. Gratitude is what motivates the, the Christian. Not fear. When we look back on our life and we know that God paid that price once and for all for us, that, that He not only did it, did save me, but He gave me eternal life, which means forever life. 
and that he keeps me saved by his grace, that makes me want to live for him. Not out of fear, out of gratitude. What else? Anybody ever heard the song, Gratitude? I think Nate did as you. That's how we, that's how we live sometimes. Like, God, I don't have anything to offer you, but I'm going to live for you. This is what, this is what I have, and I'm going to bring it to you, God. And then in 1 Timothy 1.18, it says, This command that I entrust to you, Timothy, my son, in accordance with the, all the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by then you fight the good fight, keeping faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected and suffered shipwreck in regard to their faith. And now Paul gets back to Timothy. He kind of veered off with, with telling him about his life. And now he gets back to Timothy here and he gives him this command. That word in the military, that's what it's a military word. Uh, a word that, you know, speaking from a, a ranking officer would give to someone under them. But then right after that, he says, my son Timothy. See, Paul really wants to encourage Timothy in his faith. Paul knows what Timothy is going to be facing pretty soon. I remember last week, Nate talked about how Timothy was, was a little timid, probably a little more than timid at, at times. He was timid sometimes in his faith, and he was timid sometimes in the fact that he was young in the faith, or young compared to the people that, that he was supposed to shepherd. And Paul encourages him by saying, my, you're my son in the faith. I've raised you up in this faith. I've raised you up in this teaching. And you're like a son to me. And I believe in you. And I believe that you can do this. Paul's trying to really encourage him. He says, remember the, the prophecy that was spoken about you. Now, we don't know the specific prophecy that it was. Uh, we can try to make it some assumptions. Uh, and I believe some, somehow it was probably the fact that this is what he was going to be facing and that he was going to actually stand up and be bold in those times that he faces this. That's me. Biblically, I can't prove that. That's just what I feel. And Paul mentions this prophecy and this gift a few times. In 1 Timothy 4, it says, Do not neglect the spiritual gift within you. This is speaking to Timothy again. Which was bestowed on you through the prophetic utterance with the laying on of hands by the presbytery or the, the elders or the church leaders. And in 2 Timothy 4, 6, he says, for this, reason, for this reason, I remind you to kindle afresh the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and of love and of discipline. That's why I think that that prophecy was about his, him being bold and being bold in his faith and standing up for the truth of God's Word. See, Paul kept, keeps reminding Timothy of this gift and, and this prophecy, and we know that he's going to be facing these false teachers and everything that's going to be going on in that church, and Paul keeps reminding him of his purpose and his calling. And we all need that sometimes in our life. We need to be reminded of our purpose and our calling. We all need it sometimes. We need to be reminded to fight this fight, to fight this good fight of faith, to stand up for the truth, to stand up for Jesus, and that God is for us, and that God has a purpose for each and every one of us. We all need to be reminded of that sometimes. And he tells them now to go on and fight that good fight, or that beautiful fight of faith. Because you're fighting for the gospel, that makes it a beautiful fight. He says to continue on in that. 
Continue on in the fact that it is a trustworthy statement that Jesus Christ came to save sinners. Continue on in the fact that the, the, the believer is eternally secure in Christ Jesus. And we as Christians and we as a church need to continually contend for that as well because it's being attacked. It's being attacked and trying to be undermined all over the place. We need to stand up, as the Apostle Paul said, and fight this good fight, this worthy fight. And then in verse 20, Paul mentions just a couple of people here that have kind of strayed and, and better yet went overboard and shipwrecked their faith. Uh, we'll close here in 1 Timothy 1.20. It says, Among these are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan, so that they will be taught not to blaspheme. That's pretty rough. <laughs> and there's not a lot that we know about those two. Uh, obviously, what we do know, obviously, is not very good, right? Um, Paul does mention a Hymenaeus again in 2 Timothy 2.17. Uh, but again, when he mentions him, it's about having strayed or swerved away from the faith. Uh, he mentions an, an Alexander again, but we don't know if that's the same one. But again, he mentioned when he mentions him, it's that he tried to do him harm, that he opposed everything that the Apostle Paul said, that Hymenaeus was teaching that the resurrection of the saints has already happened. I don't know if that's the same two. Uh, my guess is that it probably is, at least one of them is. Um, but the main thing through that is that Paul says that they thrust off their faith. They, they've shedded their faith. They've really given their faith no, no account anymore. And they've turned away. And it shipwrecked their faith. It has shipwrecked their lives, really. And he says he's turned them over to Satan. Now, I don't think that he, you know, went down into Satan's realm and said, here you go, you have them. What I think he meant there was, I've, they're out of the church. They can't be part of this church. I'm turning them over to this world, which we know from Scripture that what? Satan is, is the power of this present age in this world. He says, they're not to have the protection of the church anymore. They're not to have the fellowship of the church anymore. See, this church that we have and, and what we're a part of is, is supposed to be this safe haven. It's supposed to be this place of security and shelter for believers to come in and, and feel welcomed and feel secure and be a part of something. We're supposed to bear one another's burdens with each other. And Paul says that I've turned them out of here. I've turned them in. They can. They can. They want to live like the world, then they can go out and be in the world. And that's what Paul's saying there. Knowing that the goal is what? The goal is to bring them back, bring them to repentance, to bring them back into fellowship. But Paul says there, so that they learn not to blaspheme. He wants them back into fellowship. He wants them back. But sometimes you have to show tough love for that to happen. Always, always when we do things like that, we sh it should always be with restoration in mind. He talked about that in 1 Corinthians, which we're going through on Sundays. He said to remove the wicked man from your presence. With again, the goal to be restoration. Talked about it in 2 Thessalonians. With always the goal being repentance and bringing that person back into the fold. But just to close on that, we need to watch out. Just like Hymenaeus and Alexander, we can't be playing around with sin. 
Sometimes we feel like, oh, I'm just, I can dabble my toes in it, right? I'm just going to get over here and just dabble a little bit, and then I'm going to come back. Sin, sin can get a hold of you and take you a lot farther than what you think it will. <laughs> 